This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. I am flying solo today because, well... Life has happened to Kyle. Uh, he was sick. Now his mother-in-law, who cares for Nash, has had neck surgery. And I think that Nash may be getting sick. So um, even though he's technically not contagious over the podcast, I don't want him anywhere near me. <laughs> I'm actually supposed to be flying up tomorrow morning. My wife and I are flying to New York so that I can take her uh, Christmas shopping. Um, I, you know, I, I just... We'll see how that goes, right? But I have got so dangerous. Yeah, it, it, well, it is. I have got Daniel Metcalf and Chris Steffel from Cyberfin with me today, and we're going to talk about all of the things they're doing to make waves in the commercial insurance industry for producers and agencies who are wanting to become better at using cyber to establish relationships and also provide what everybody promises but rarely delivers at the point of sale using the tools that are currently out there uh, today. So guys, welcome. You know, this is going to be a uh, a good conversation, I think. But before we get into it, why don't each of you take just a couple of seconds as we always do and kind of give the backstory of who you are, where you came from and how you got to where you are now. And then we're just going to dump in and jump in rather and get after it as far as cyberfin goes because i'm excited to have that conversation absolutely so my name is chris steffel i'm second generation in the insurance business grew up in it and uh actually have had an insurance wholesale company working with uh commercial property casualty reps on life and long-term care and disability for the last 20 years and we went through a big cyber upgrade for our company putting the tools in place and realized that uh, the commercial reps we were working with needed not only their agencies to be upgraded for cybersecurity, but also their customers. And so we spent the last couple of years helping out uh, their customers, but then in turn helping kind of help drive cyber liability sales for them also. So thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah, Dave, thanks for having us. My name is Daniel Metcalf. I'm the, one of the managing partners here at Cyberfin. I've spent the last 15 years solving business problems through technology. 
And most recently, about five years spending as the banks, small banks and credit unions were getting regulated around data protection and cybersecurity, I helped build uh, a service through um, an MSP on how to make banks and credit unions meet those regulations. And so Chris and I got together because, as you can tell, in both now insurance and in commercial, not only do you need to protect yourself, but you also have to be compliant with state, federal, association-based regulations. So that's what we built out here at Cyberfin. Man, you just said you did it for an MSP. I mean, my first question right out of the box is, what the heck are you doing to make MSPs insurable at this point? I mean, it's, it's <laughs> an absolutely brutal marketplace out there right now. And I mean, that's a class of business that I personally, you know, have always gravitated toward because there's a little bit more meat there than there is in a lot of the other, you know, tech companies that we're going to rub elbows with on a daily basis. Cause you mm-hmm. can, you know, obviously you've got errors and emissions and cyber, but you know, depending on where they have their, their server room and all of that stuff, if it's local, if it's, you know, outsourced to somebody else, fleet of vehicles, all of that stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. I also like them because they're the gatekeeper to 500 to 1,000 businesses, which is why all the hackers like them as well. Right, right. And so, you know, I've got about anywhere, but I've got between 40 and 50 of these in my book of business right now. And if we were to look at what has happened to rate over the course of the last five years, but predominantly the last two to three years, Every, I mean, I've got accounts that are paying triple what they were paying five years wow. ago. Right. And, right. They, and they are the good, they are the good ones, right? These are yeah. the ones that the underwriters come back and say, man, y'all have great controls in place. We're giving you preferred pricing. And I'm like, this is preferred pricing. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm just interested, like, you know, without putting the cart before the horse, maybe we table that question for a little bit later. But yeah. at some point in this conversation, I'm interested in, if what you're doing will actually help MSPs as well, because while they're very, very valuable and they can be great referral partners um, for the agency, at the same time, they're also extremely bullheaded and they they don't get out of their own way many times. And so it's hard to help them, right? It, it's right. difficult to give them advice because they feel like they're the experts on all of that. And, you know, it's it, what, what told me time was changing, times were changing, is when I have an MSP that I represent, and it was actually last year at Renewal, we sent the Renewal apps over with the questions, and he immediately wrote back and said, well, I guess the insurance companies are finally figuring out what we're doing because my my application went from like three pages to 24 right, right. You know, in literally 12 months. You've and, seen those, yeah. Yeah, the questions are extremely granular, you know, and obviously – you know, EDR is a big thing now. You know, it used to be something that it was it was a nice to have that would help you on your pricing. Now you have to have it to get coverage. Same thing right. with MFA and all of those things. So yeah. take the conversation where you want it to go, yeah. guys. Maybe yeah. well, talk a little bit about the problem you're trying to solve and how you're helping agents. And then I'll just pepper you with questions based on what I hear. Yeah. I mean, Chris, let's just answer the question since you threw it out there and we can, because yeah. I've, I've been thinking about it, David, since you had your podcast, I listened to it, Our Best Cyberhack you know, around the managed service providers, you know, that's a big, that's a big area that other uh, commercial insurance agencies could look at is every town has a managed, serv- managed service provider, right? And there's usually multiple of them in that town. So it's, you know, it, it's a uh, good small businesses out there. Here's how, where we're seeing and helping MSPs. We're an all-in-one cybersecurity solution that combines the EDR 
combines email threat protection, it combines the firewall, the VPN, it combines it into one solution with its own SOC and SIM. So where the managed service providers are having to go through their 20-some page you know, questionnaires, and like you mentioned in that cyber hack of, hey, are they making sure that their clients have cybersecurity right in place and cyber liability insurance do they are they requiring that in order to be part of their managed service agreement like i saw that in there right so this is a way we're getting msps coming to us david and saying look we have a piecemeal solution i can't get all the different pieces on my client because of budget or because of i don't have access to to the licensing agreements that you have what it might be i love that i now have an all-in-one solution i can keep the uptime right so managed service provider i'm handling the uptime you guys handle the security side of it and that's how we're partnering together. And that that's giving them lower uh, premium. You know, the premiums are going down because now they can put in their solution that includes multi-factor authentication, that includes EDR, includes ETP on all of their clients. It's lowering their risk profile. So they're getting the, you know, the coverage that they A, need and B, they're, not, they're getting it for a premium they can afford. And it's not going up by 5X and 10X. And you're not getting the phone calls or your reps aren't saying, I might drop it. Right. Because I, it's just not worth the, you know, it's not worth the squeeze right now. Or, oh, I'm not willing to go with the cyber liability yet until I, you know, get my customers up and running. And how long is that going to take if they do a piecemeal? That's how we've been helping the MSPs and the and the commercial insurance companies. I'm on the edge. Like, just up. <laughs> that's all right. No, I mean, I, I've got the I've got the uh, the gist of it. You know, I think one thing that I think would be helpful and, you know, they would never admit this, but my peer group doesn't do really good with technology acronyms. Like yeah. they see that it's asked for on an application like EDR, for example, they see that it's asked for um, on an application or ETF or whatever, while he's getting himself unfrozen, you know, why don't, why don't we talk a little bit about what some of those acronyms are that Daniel just used, you know, number one, talk about what they meet, what they stand for, but then more importantly, Talk about what they mean and why they're important, because that's the biggest, that's the, you know, to me, that's one of the biggest disconnects, right? A lot of agents want to write this stuff. They want to write cyber. Everybody's talking about cyber. They think cyber is sexy. Let me talk, you know, let me sell you cyber, blah, 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 blah. At the end of the day, man, you know, there's a lot of agents out there and this is, this is not relegated to the technology insurance marketplace. There's a lot of people out there peddling stuff. They have no clue what they're peddling right. to begin with, right? They're right. just, they're, they're selling a policy because they know that if they sell a policy, they're going to get paid a commission. And all they're worried about is selling the deal and moving on. You know, then there's the subset of people that are the absolute technicians. Like they know every granular detail and they're not selling policies because they're putting people to sleep. So you need to you need to have the healthy balance between the two of the people who have the ability to sell and understand their role, but also have the technical understanding. And that's really kind of what the goal is that we have on the podcast is to, mm -hmm. to bring some of this stuff to light and give these people education. Um, because look, we all get bombarded with literally thousands of emails a week or a month or whatever the time frame is that probably answers some of these questions, but yeah, we don't take the time to read that stuff. We just know that the underwriter says, oh, you have to have MFA. Do you have it? Yes or no. And if the answer is no, well, you have to go get it. They're not they're not able to go in and say, these are the things you have to have in place to be compliant. Here's what this means. This is why it's important. You know, and, and again, I think everybody knows MFA because we all hate it, right? We, we, <laughs> we love what it does, but we hate having to use it. 
Right. Yeah, and, and I mean, I can tell you, we use Duo for for what we do here. And I'll be laying in my lap, laying in bed and at three o'clock in the morning. And I keep a laptop next to my bed because I'm up every night in the middle of the night for some subset of time. And I'll sit there and I'll go to, I'll go to crank it up. And the next thing you know, I get hit with that freaking push notification <laughs> and I got to get all the way out of bed, walk across to where I charge my phone, get it, you know, accept yeah. it. And then we're on. But I mean, EDR, you know, is something we don't talk about. ETF is something we right. don't talk about. So maybe explain those things and why they're important and why agents should be discussing them. Yeah, well, number one, multi-factor authentication is only the first step into protecting, right? And that is the number one thing that can be spoofed. So that is just the one layer, you know, we we um, represent layered protection. So let's talk about EDR, endpoint, right? That's endpoint protection, right? So you have not just your... Hold on a second. Rewind. Tell yeah. them what spoofed means. Oh, spoofed. You, you have to understand something. I, see, this is why we have you, David, because yeah, you know, this you, is you an audience. My... So, yeah, this is an audience of people... <laughs> who sell a product but have no idea what they're actually covering, right? Sure, sure. right. Yeah. And, and that's not everybody out there, but people, if you're getting pissed at me because I said that, look in the mirror and tell yourself, <laughs> did you really know what spoofed and EDR and all this does? And if the answer no. is yes, then I'm not talking to you anyhow. Get over yourself and keep listening because <laughs> no, these guys right. are going to give nuggets that are going to make your game stronger. Absolutely. So let's start with spoofed. Spoofed is impersonated, right? So the first thing that that's very easy to, or the the first thing that the the cyber criminals are looking to try to do, because that everybody's been talking about multi-factor authentication, is finding a way that they can impersonate you or impersonate somebody within your agency or somebody within your client, you know, your customer, to get their multi-factor authentication credentials, right? Or whatever that system. It's what you know and what you have. That's what multi-factor authentication is, right? It's something you know and something you have. They can now, they've they've come up with ways, right? You you, you put in a door, they're going to find a way around it. The bad guys, the criminals have figured out a way how to actually impersonate you when someone's trying to do multi-factor authentication. So you can't rely on multi-factor authentication from stopping the criminals, right? So I'll tell you something, man. Um, and for everybody, this happened to us. Like oh. it's the reason why we don't have our email addresses. I, I, let me put it. Let me let me rewind that for a second. They attempted to do this to us, so okay. we had a spoofing attempt. You know, thankfully, we we weren't hurt in any way. But we originally, I would have you know our our team members' contact information and all of that on our website, and they were scraping that information off. And somebody used it to, to spoof one of my producer's email addresses, okay? And I mean, this thing goes deep, man. And if mm -hmm. I if I didn't spend the amount of time that I did in retail, having to research employees that were finding creative ways to steal from me, I probably wouldn't have been able to figure this out. But I actually ended up figuring out exactly what these guys did from beginning to end. So I'm going to yep. tell the story quick because I think everybody yeah. needs to hear this. This is something that could easily happen to you and you want to make sure you're protecting your information and your team members' information from the public domain for this very reason. So uh, my buddy Greg Hogan lives up in New York. He just bought himself a place over on St. Pete Beach, but he used to come down every winter and visit St. Pete Beach. And I would go over and visit with him, you know, for that the day that he was here. We would talk shop. We would talk about what his plans were for the next year um, in terms of production and all of that, because he's a member of Killing Commercial, um, which is my private ecosystem for your edification. Um, but anyhow, 
I was on my way over to see Hogan when he was in St. Pete Beach and I had a phone. I was on the phone with somebody and I kept having this call come in from Nebraska. And typically when I see a call coming in from Nebraska, I think it's either applied underwriters because they're in Nebraska or yeah. PayPal because PayPal's in Nebraska. And some <laughs> subset of my billing for killing commercial is done through PayPal. So I was trying to figure out maybe they were trying to get me to take some capital from them or whatever else. I didn't answer it. But after about the fifth time of this thing coming through, I finally hung. I, I said, listen, let me hang up. I'll call you back. And I pulled over to the side of the road and I and I called the people back. And it was a lady who said, listen, I just want to verify. Are you David Carruthers with Florida Risk Partners? And I said, yes, ma'am, I am. And she said, listen, I don't mind cashing this check for your, your person, but it's almost $10,000. And I wanted to get a, an authorization from you before I go ahead and do this. I was like, well, hold on a second. Let, let's, let's, what, what, <laughs> you know, what check for almost $10,000? She said, right. I, 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 I'm the manager of a check cashing facility here in Nebraska. And one of your, one of your team members has come in and they have a check for $9,995 that they want to cash for work that they've done for you. But I need your authorization before I can do it. And I said, that's not a valid check. And she said, well, it has your signature on it. And I said, great. Why don't you do me a favor and take a picture of it if you don't mind and text it to me because there are only two people who have my signature, me and my CFO, who is in another part of Florida who has a rubber stamp signature of, of mine that she would put on payroll checks and checks to vendors and everything else. And I said, so if you have an authentic signature, that means that check either came from me, which it didn't, or it came from her, which means I have some questions. So if you don't mind, would you do that? And so she sent over the picture. And sure enough, it was a rubber stamp of my signature, which was my CFO. And I reached out to her and I said, listen, I said, you know, what happened? You know, what's going on here? And, you know, I got a check for almost 10 grand that got cut. You and I never talked about that. So number one, I'm not angry with you. I just want to figure we have a problem. We need to figure out how to solve it. Going forward, if there's a if I ask you for anything over a hundred dollars, you need to get my approval. Like it, it, ten thousand, so far out of the realm of what I would give somebody latitude to cut on their own. Yeah. That you know anything over a hundred bucks, you have no discretionary spending. It has to come through me at this point, and it has to be verbal over the phone, nothing in writing. And I said, so why did you cut the check? And she said, because you asked me to. And I said, I didn't ask you to. Explain oh. that to me. And so she sends me an email over. And I'm going to tell you what, people, if you've not, you know, we all laugh at some of the ridiculous phishing emails and stuff that, right. that we get. This thing was on point. It was 100% on point. It, it, it addressed her by name. And the only reason that I told her she should have known or, or caught on to it is because it addressed, other than the salutation of the email, at the very end, it said, Cara, I'm really counting on you to do this. And it used her name again. And I never would have done that. Ooh. That's not how I talk. Right. Right. And so I said, I would have said, please make sure you let me know when this is get done. But I would never have used her first name again. And this is somebody that I've had a business relationship with for like a dozen years at that point. So it's not like we didn't, you know, know each other. And, and honestly, she she should have. She should have probably questioned it, but it came directly from my email and she never did. And it was written very, very, very well, grammatically spelling other than that one thing. And so I said, so going forward, that needs to happen. So I got back on the horn with the lady at the check cashing place and said, absolutely do not cash the check. And she said, this woman is irate. And I said, what are you talking about? She said, she said she's worked for you for three months. This is three months worth of pay. And she needs to get the check cashed. And she said, 
honestly, I believe her that, that I believe her. And I was like, well, you're talking to the person on a recorded line who would have signed that check, who is telling you the check is not valid. You need to prosecute this person. And she said, well, my boss won't let us prosecute unless you say you're going to come up and go to the actual court uh, because otherwise it's a waste of our time. And I said, oh. well, I'm not, I said, don't cash the check. I'm not coming in Nebraska. There's no reason for that. So I get on the phone with my MSP and I said, fellas, what's going on here? You know, we get to the email, tell me what's happening and whatever else. So here's what happened. They had gotten into Raphael's email because it was online. They, they got into his, they somehow got into mine and were able to, was able to spoof mine, but then they also created rules inside of Microsoft Outlook so that when replies came to the address from specific places or whatever, that it would automatically get filtered into another folder and then subsequently forwarded to an address over the, the IP address, go figure, over in like Ukraine yeah. somewhere, right? Yep. Right. They're never over there. But right. anyhow, you know, it was going it was going over there and then di disappearing from our system completely. And so what I think what I realized had happened was these people were going in. They had created fake jobs in Indeed. OK, so we all see them, you yep. know, guys. You know, ladies, if you got a stay at home spouse, this, this is the whole make a bunch of money while working from home part time thing. This is what happens when you actually reply to those. So what yep. happened is they, they had done a deal for like medical coding or medical transcription for a hospital system. A valid applicant, i.e. the lady trying to cash the check, would apply for the job. She would get hired. She would actually do valid work for the hospital. This group would bill the hospital. They would get paid for the work. They would keep the money and then they would use bad checks from unsuspecting businesses in an effort to hopefully pay these people that are doing the work, but then they wouldn't, they wouldn't have any, any expense line. Right. 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 So I actually, in a matter of about two hours was able to connect all the dots and see that that's what was happening. So that's the one reason why I'll grumble about, you know, multi-factor authentication, yep. but I'm always going to have it. And I yep. also understand that even though you do, you can't a hundred percent rely that even that's going to, you know, protect right. everything. You, you still have to have common sense. Right. You still have to be vigilant as to what's going on in your operation. These things just make it a little harder for them to do that stuff. Right. Yes. That's it. It's and a, that's why the multi-level or the um, multi-layer protection is so important because, and that's the thing we're really trying to get out there a ton because right now, one line of defense can be gotten through possibly. You've got to have multiple lines of defense to basically stop this. And we, we know the carriers, we're seeing the carriers talk about this already, that eventually it is going to be required just like MFA, that everybody has EDR everybody has email filtering and everybody's using VPN because the only way to really try to stop this from a, a grand standpoint is to have that multi-layer. Right. 100%. Yeah. So let's answer the what's EDR, right? Because we've, we've used that term a few times. And yeah, because I can, honestly, I think that's the one that sort of come on, you know, onto the scene the last couple of years that very few people yeah. know about. Right. So EDR is endpoint detection and response. So an endpoint is your laptop, your 
desktop, your Surface, what it might be. And when back, you know, a few years ago, it was okay just to have an antivirus, you know, software on your computer. This is not antivirus software. It includes it, right? It's above and beyond. The number one crime in America is the cybercrime of cyber extortion. It's also called ransomware. It's also called malware. You've heard it before. What EDR does is it looks for ransomware code, malware code on your actively working on your computer because it can be masked as something that's supposed to be there. Where an antivirus, right, that's it's a little bit different. It's actually the code itself is the virus. This is it. It looks like it's a file. It looks like it's a, you know, number one way, number one place, people, by the way, at this time of year, every one of you are using or at least if you're not, your spouses are. But the uh, browser extensions for shopping applications, the Bingo. search for coupons and all of that other stuff that looks so innocent, not so oh, innocent. That's exactly how they're getting in. 100%. You hit it right on the So an EDR and endpoint detection response is actually going to look for anomalies or activity on each file, right? So it's looking for the file to be doing something it's not supposed to be doing right? Or when it's not supposed to be there. So, and it sends off little alerts, right? That's the detection part of it to a cybersecurity professional, like working at Cyberfin, who's going to go in and respond to it, or the software itself is now has AI and machine learning. We can get into that scary subject at another time, maybe that goes in and actually um, isolates that, that ransomware code and gets it off the system, right? So, and then if you call and say, hey, I had a file that was supposed to be there, and we say, well, no, it was a ransomware file. We can tell, you know, we'll tell you that. Or if it's supposed to be a legit file, we can clean it up and make sure to get it back on your computer. That's what EDR does. And that's why it's so it's so important because it looks like it's supposed to be there, right? And antivirus doesn't catch it. And antivirus is only as good as how many times you don't hit snooze, right? right. <laughs> when you're supposed to be upgrading. This upgrades in real time because every time the device is connected to the internet, right? Which gets us to the next layer of protection, which is your VPN, right? You're always on VPN, which is looking for the anomalies within. It's your own private network of, of running off the internet that has all the doors closed that if it someone's trying to do something that's not, you know, not supposed to be there, it's going to shut the door on the internet traffic going both in and out, right? And you don't have to be in a building and underneath a firewall to make sure that you can protect your internet traffic, right? So our, so that's the layers that we're talking about. They take it to the next layer down is email filtering. So do you mind if I tell a scary story since you just told me? Yeah, go for story? it, man. I okay. love scary stories. All right, so here's a scary story. So it came from a legitimate email address, just like you said, right? So some, so they used a hack. It's in the middle of nowhere, Wisconsin, right? I don't want to say the name because then maybe, you know, I don't have, you know, someone's going to find out, but it's from a small town in the middle of Wisconsin. They had given up their credentials, their, their, their login and password to their email. Okay. They went in and they sent an email. They figured out all the people they've hit sent emails to other agents, right? So maybe they cross sell business. Maybe they, you know, are, you know, or refer business or whatever it is. And they created an email that said, check out this RFP. What do you think? was the first email. And it wasn't a it wasn't a document. It was it looked like a document as an attachment but it really was a web address. So you clicked on it and it went to a web address and it says if you and so it was a legit it had a it, it had a www it had https so it looked like a legit website and it was it was a form that we'd use like a google form, right? Like a google survey. And it said, "Oh, if you want to download this RFP, pick a date." Right? So you have to pick a date what today's date was. So it made it look like it was extra security. Pick a date, 
So we know it's you're not a robot. And then it took you to a nefarious website, to a bad person's website, right? A criminal website. And it says, oh, if you want to download this, you have to put your email address and password in. Of course you do. We followed the chain between six agencies that did it. Now, thank goodness, one of the every agency that works with us, it got hit by the MFA stop, right? But also it, it eliminated, here's where email threat protection comes in. It filters all the emails coming in. Our filtering tool actually caught it and said, wait a minute, this doesn't look right. Why would a web address be an attachment? And it stopped it from going, it getting actually sent. It made it to one individual, but it didn't get sent to the rest of the people within the organization, right? So think about it. They just lowered the overall risk because instead of all 30 people getting it, it went to one. And that person, thank gosh, didn't click all the way down, right? So they, they said, oh, this looks weird and deleted it. That's where if that's where that's how sophisticated these attacks are getting. And they're specifically going in and figuring out, they're not just taking the time to just like email a million people. They're seriously looking at all the emails and they're putting things in place, like you said, redirecting, going into the actual administration of the of your O365 and making changes to it to their benefit. It, that's it, and multi-factor authentication is easy for them to get around because if they get in and you have admin credentials. Right. Even if you have multi-factor authentication, they can change it to say make the might make the MFA come to my phone. Right. <laughs> they change the well, phone. I'm gonna tell you what, man, it's interesting because even as we've been sitting here, I've gotten two attempts, like literally just while we're on this podcast, and they came in. Um, and it's funny because you can tell the strategy, but sometimes the strategy fails them. Right. So I that's what I'm looking at over here. I'm not ignoring you on my other screen. I actually wanted actually wanted to share this. So this, this document came in disguised as a DocuSign. Okay. Oh, and it's yeah. still got, it's got the DocuSign branding on it and everything. Although, and then at the top, the, the from is Florida risk partners, all one word. But then if you look at the, the actual name in the, in the branding, it's company admin 4019 at iCloud.com, right? Right. right, right. And the, the, the title of it is please DocuSign IRA documents. Come on, guys. Really? <laughs> now, you probably have, I, obviously, I'm not going to click to see what they're asking for, but I'm right. sure it's name, birth date, social security number to finalize your IRA. The one problem here is we don't have an IRA. Right. So right. there are no documents to finalize. Right. And, that, and that's where we say that's like the that's the mass criminal version of it. They've gotten more sophisticated, especially to businesses. Right. That's why small to medium sized businesses, they're getting more sophisticated because they know that's where the money is. Right. You're still hearing about the big, enormous hacks that are going on at very large companies. Right. You're still hearing that, but less often. And most of them are happening because they're going through a small vendor. They're going through a small business. We've heard it over and over again, right? They found a way to get into the subcontractor who does their, you know, paints all their buildings for them. And that subcontractor sent them, a, you know, they got into that subcontractor's email and sent an email to somebody at the bigger company. Like that's, that's kind of how they're getting more. They have to get more and more sophisticated to say, okay, which of these companies inside their sent file or their received file, can I go and you know, can I go and send an attack to, right? It's not just yeah. hitting a bit a button and going out to a million people like the one that you just received there, right? That those are becoming less and less because they're not as profitable. The ones that are profitable is taking the extra time to go after these small to medium-sized businesses and 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 really get sophisticated. And that's why it, we keep harping on it. But that multi-layered security, 
that's what allows it to slow it down because criminals are still lazy at the end of the day, right? If they see that, hey, look, they're protected with all these different layers, I that's way too much work because I know I can just go down the next door to somebody that only has multi-factor authentication on, right? Right. Or so, nothing. Or nothing. Correct. Right. Because there, there's a lot of businesses out there that don't have it because they don't even buy cyber insurance. So nobody's right. prompted them to get it. Right. Right. That's who the real targets are. I mean, I think that so many times people get confused thinking when you, when you see things like New Orleans getting shut down or the city of Atlanta getting shut down or Target or TJ Maxx and these massive, you know, entities or, or public entities for that matter are getting attacked that that's where the real focus is. No, that's like the Holy grail, man. That's right. the big rock. The, right. That's the one right. that they're chipping away at until for maybe years until they can actually get in. Whereas, you know, there are a lot of juicy middle market or smaller businesses out there to where if they can just collect 25,000 bucks a pop from them, yeah, it's going to hurt them a little bit, but they could come up with 25,000 bucks pretty quick. Right. And that's a much easier, that's a much easier target than the big ones. And that's really, you know, I've even seen claim scenarios before where they're just drafting bank accounts for like a dime a night, but yep. they're doing it like millions of bank accounts and the money they're generating is insane. Like, I don't remember what the statistic is and I, I, I don't know what it is per se for 2022, my good friend, Scott Bean, who is an MSP and a client of Florida risk would tell me to the penny, but he always knows exactly how much money has been um, extorted from people or whatever through ransomware attacks. And these guys make the mafia look like it's romper room, man. It's insane. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And that's, and that's, there's no too small of company. We've we've dealt with companies that are you know size of one that lost millions to ones that are you know thousands that have lost it. And again, the, the, the news is never going to talk about just the 22 days of downtime, you know, the two hundred thousand dollars in ransom that they paid, and maybe the million dollars in lost revenues over a year. They don't. That's not big enough for it to be on the news. And that's why I don't hear about it, right? Right. Because. Um, but if they, that's why they're hearing more and more on the news, the collectiveness of it, right? $40 million lost and lost productivity over the last quarter in ransomware and malware attacks just in, just in 2022 alone, right? If you add them up as bigger numbers, then you start to see, see what it looks like. So, Mm-mm-mm. right. Man, I, uh, you know, I, I think the thing that's interesting too is we, we, we sell this stuff, but we really just, we don't know, you know, the insurance is a band-aid. And if you're really going to be a great practitioner out on the streets, I don't think you need to go get a degree in computer science or cybersecurity or anything, but you, you have to understand the working terms, number one, but number two, and even more importantly, you have to be able to, to, to explain that to the people that you represent, because that's where the real disconnect is going to come. You, you may have the ability to understand it yourself. You may be willing to do it for your agency, but you know, you're going to have to have some uncomfortable conversations with your clients through this process because you're going to get pushback, mm -hmm. right? They, oh, well, if that hasn't happened to us before, well, how do you know? You know, it, it, that's my, that's my first question. <laughs> right. How do you know? I right. have a family member and I have a family member that's in federal governmental law enforcement and has specific experience in dealing with cyber crime and in the stories that he would tell it, it coupled with, again, my experience in retail, 
we used to call them gypsies in retail because they'd come in, make it a bunch of noise. They'd hold a newspaper up like they were reading it, but it was actually to cover the security cameras so you couldn't see them yep. and all of this. And they would come in and their goal was to gain access to your office in the grocery store so they could you know, get the, ca- the, the safe or cash drops or whatever they could get quick and get out. But what they were, but what my relative was telling me is, you know, you really need to pay attention to where you're sliding your card. You know, obviously we see the things about the gas stations and everything else, but, you know, he said the easiest, one of the easiest systems for people to breach are these point of sale terminals where you see the ethernet cable or the USB cable or whatever plugging in and they're sliding the card on the side of the monitor because they work in teams of two and they'll go into a place that's not heavily staffed like a golf pro shop right at a golf course and so one person will go and pretend like they're looking for a golf shirt and they're going to look for one that's got that's missing the size they would need and they're going to distract the person have them go see if they have it in the back or whatever else and in the time they do that the other person's up at the front they unplug it from the back of the cpu they put their Mm -hmm. filter on plug it back in and then they wait a month, 45 days, two months, whatever. And that thing's capturing every single ounce of information yep. that's running through that point of sale yep. terminal. And then they just come back and do the same thing and they take the filter off, go on their way. And now now they've got everybody's info. Right. And that's where the VPN, that's where we've been really pushing the virtual private network would catch, hey, is this is this money really supposed to, is this, is this internet traffic really supposed to be going to Russia? Like, do you yeah. really do business in Nigeria? Do you really do business in such and such, or do you have a bank? You don't have a bank in, you know, even in the United States, right? You don't have a bank in Arizona. If you're in North Dakota, do you like it'll, it'll catch it and stop that traffic and block it until someone can actually confirm it's supposed to be going where it's supposed to be going. Yeah. Well, I think one thing, the one thing we found too, is just, you know, each industry is kind of unique too. So, I mean, we've worked with different associations too. And it's, it's interesting as we dive deeper into what each of those industries do, how we can protect them and how they're unique and what their risks are. Um, and so that's one thing that's been kind of interesting because like you brought up like grocery stores or a golf pro shop. I mean, everybody's got a little bit different risks that they're dealing with or open holes, but they're very similar across industries. Right. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, it's crazy, man. So We've identified some of this stuff. There's obviously way, way more. I don't, I don't want to spend any more time talking about that. Talk, talk about Cyberfin. I mean, you've laid out the problem. I talk about it all the time when I talk about how we sell workers' compensation. We use Mod Advisor to make sure that the mod is actually accurate, and then we can also show what the minimum mod is and the controllable mod, and we use all of those data points. And there's a lot of agencies out there that have the ability to do that. But I think that the number one disconnect is that that's where they stop. They don't ever, you know, they're, they're able to go out and they can give you the diagnosis because that's what's going to get them hired. But very few, I mean, the really good ones do, but very few have the treatment plan that they're able to implement on the back end of it. And I think that that's also something that's true with cyber, right? I think that number one, we're relying on a diagnosis that's typically a carrier provided tool that's used in the underwriting process that's not going to be as thorough and detailed as what a, a company really probably needs. Um, and that gives us a false sense of security that we've identified what the issues are when in reality, you know, a lot of times what you're seeing with, you know, missing security patches or out of date or whatever is as simple as a WordPress website update fixes that stuff for the time being and then you move on. And that's not really where the vulnerabilities are. It's certainly where the low-hanging fruit is, but it's not by any stretch the, the real vulnerabilities an organization faces. So talk a little bit about how you guys 
you know, deliver that treatment plan on the back end, both for agents and on behalf of? So I think one of the big things that we found is we were we were very focused on working just with agencies themselves on their tools. And then we started getting asked to work with their customers. So one thing we've put in place over the last six months here is really trying to offer a program that as an agency or an agent to be able to bring their customers in so they can become educated. So very similar to what we're doing right now, as you know, agencies are trying to figure out this terminology and become more educated on understanding cybersecurity, their customers are looking for the same thing. And so for us, um, I think a lot of it is, first of all, offering that educational tool that they can offer to their customers so they can come up to speed, but then it comes into doing the assessments on it. So once we get to that point as a company, we'll do the assessments um, of the company where they're at from a cybersecurity standpoint and walk through the tools but there definitely has to be that educational component in the middle. And I think the thing is, is what we've seen is we've worked with commercial shops is as they can educate their customers, it becomes a lot easier to then talk through the cyber liability or even looking at the coverages, upping the coverages with, with certain ones where we've seen like, you know, add on policies and going standalone. Um, we'll do an educational thing and we'll see, you know, individuals then move to maybe more of a standalone policy just for cyber in addition. So. So yeah, that's the that's the step by step on how it works. David is, we go out now and we've we've seen it right. Not everybody knows exactly the terminology. They don't know. They want to they want to sound educated. So we're offering these educational programs for that for not only themselves and their agencies, but also if they want to bring in some customers or prospects, right? And say, okay, we're going to do a workshop or we're going to do a webinar. Um, we're going to do a lunch and learn, whatever it might be. And we're going to go and educate you on the, you know, what's going on in the cybersecurity world and what you need to do to best practices to protect yourself. And how does that help you with your cyber liability, right? Especially if it's a requirement in many, uh, uh, many states, it's a requirement now, right? So then we're getting that education process and then we do the surveys, right? So we do the cybersecurity surveys. We call them a cyber check. We do the cyber check with that company specifically at no obligation to, you know, to them and no, and doesn't, we don't charge anybody for if that's our, you know, that's an exchange. And then we show them some solutions, whether they use Cyberfin for that solution or they use somebody else, at least we can give them some guidance on what they need to do um, to be more cyber secure. It also helps the, the agency get the almost like a guaranteed issue cyber liability because they're not only meeting all of the, you know, meeting all the requirements, but they're also meeting all the under, underwriting as well. So they're putting the s- systems in place and meeting underwriting. So they're getting the coverage that they need. And it almost creates that guaranteed issue because they're actually putting the things in place they need in order to get the, the insurance and, and everybody's educated at the same time. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, man. I mean, you know, I've I've been thinking about this a lot the last couple of years, and I honestly believe, I mean, New York has already gone down this road, yeah. but I think that you're going to see that at some point in the very near future, cyber liability becomes compulsory, just like workers' right. compensation. It is. Yeah. You know, and, and at the end of the day, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to make a blanket statement because certainly there are good employers out here who don't subscribe to this thought process, but the reason workers comps compulsory is because let's just call it what it is. People aren't going to buy it unless they have to, mm-hmm. even though that's the best way for them to take care of the people who work in their work on their team, right? They're just not going to do it because people by and large want to save money and they can't tr- constantly tripping over hundreds to get to singles. Right. So, right. Oh, I'll save money on premium. Meanwhile, they get sued 
you know, because of something in, you know, it is what it is. I think cyber is the same way, man. You know, people should have cyber liability, not just to protect themselves, but to protect your clients, man. You know, just like the MSP insurance agencies are a gateway to a whole lot of other people. And, you know, we do have personally identifiable information on hand. We do have things, you know, that, that could cause some damage if the wrong, if it got into the wrong hands. And sadly, you know, I think businesses at large, still just don't buy the coverage because they view it as an extra expense that, you know, they don't need. Nothing's really ever happened to them before. And then by the time that that it does happen, it's too late. You know, just the ability for the carrier to help you make sure you're in compliance with all of your reporting requirements to the different governmental agencies and helping you streamline that process is worth whatever the premium is in mm-hmm. and of itself. Try hiring a PR firm to go do those things for you. Try Try taking time out of your day Number one, to go read all of the requirements and then comply with them. Like I've said this from the very beginning. And and, and when I say the very beginning, I mean like literally like the last five, six, seven years as cyber has grown more and more popular as far as, and I call it, I still call it a buzzword. It's a buzzword Mm -hmm. to agents. It's not something that they view as vital or necessary. But, you know, when cyber first rolled onto the scene, it's exactly like employment practices liability was 15, 20 years ago. Everybody heard about it. Everybody wanted to sell it because it was a way to make incremental commission for yourself and for your agency. It was easy to have a conversation around. It was priced thin because there wasn't really any actuarial data that talked about how everything was going to pay out. And so they wrote a ton of it for a couple of years. And then what happened? The claims started coming in, right? The economy tanked, the home, the, the real estate market tanked, um, and people were getting laid off. They were getting terminated. And what did they do? They'd start filing wage and hour suits. They'd mm-hmm. file discrimination. They'd file wrongful termination, whatever. And so the underwriting community had to scramble. They they tightened up the underwriting appetite. They started putting sublimits or exclusions for things like wage and hour on the policy. Why did they do that? Because that's where they were paying the claims money from. And wage and hour violations, to some degree, are pretty much intentional, you know, for all practical purposes. There's a difference between a clerical error on a payroll and not paying somebody overtime for 27 years, okay? Like, Mm -hmm. there's a big difference. But that stuff started getting sublimited. Then pricing went up, you know, and the market became really, really hard. And they underwrote financially. They underwrote, uh, you know, the applications by asking a lot more questions and paying attention to the answers. And... Over the last few years, pre-COVID, it started to relax a little bit and started to make more sense because we got our arms around it. I think we're at the point right now with cyber where it's sort of been the Wild West to a certain degree where people have just been writing it. We've been relying on the scans that are provided by the carriers. The carriers have been relying on the scans that they provide, and they think that, that, that they've got a good handle on what's really the exposure of these accounts, and they're finding out from claims activity that's not the case. And I mean, I've heard on the streets that there are carriers out there that have actually had to go and acquire other carriers just because they were out of capacity in their current contract. Wow. I'm, yeah, I'm not surprised. I mean, I think the one thing since we've been in this, I'm I'm surprised at how many small businesses, just we're in Minneapolis area here, I'm amazed how many small businesses we hear every day that are going through breaches. I mean, it's much greater than when we even started this that I thought was going on. 
And I think that's scary because how many actually are have coverage? And as they get more coverage on these companies and go through the breaches, I mean, you just see the claims going up more and more. Mm. Cool deal. So what have we missed, guys? <laughs> Anything, Daniel? I think we've covered it pretty good, you know, covered it on a Yep. You know, yeah, we covered on that side. And if any of, you know, those out there listening that want help understanding where cyber, you know, what's going on in the cyber industry wants help communicating with their clients, if they want to start to see prospects and clients show up to an event, because this is the hottest topic right now, right? So you, you throw cyber and you're going to, you're going to have customers show up and you're going to have prospects show up um, to your events, just, just from an education standpoint, reach out to Cyberfin. Um, you can find us at protectmeatcyberfin.net. See, you know, find us on our website. We're, we're, you know, we can get you a landing page over to you, David, if you'd like to, and they can sign up specifically to talk, to you know, have a workshop through Cyberfin, um, and learn more about how those workshops work, whether it's a webinar and in person. We're here to yeah, just think, help as many people as we can. Yeah, I think what I would like to do is maybe what we do in hundred percent up to you guys. I don't mean to put you on the spot, but. I think it would be really cool probably right after the first of the year just to do an open forum webinar and bring as many agents onto it as possible. Let you happy guys do your, let y'all do your thing and go from there. So yeah, happy to um, we just let's, let's plan on doing one. that. We'll everybody will announce that when we, when we get some, uh, some firm dates or, or get a firm date set around it. But I, I think that's one that every single person listening to this and a whole lot of people who aren't listening to this, should yeah. probably be on because this is the stuff you need to know. And if you're one of those mealy mouth people that bitches and moans about losing business because your client leaves and you think it's because they got a cheaper price somewhere or because, you know, it's their buddy or their friend that, that wrote the insurance, let me assure you, it's probably because you don't know things like this, right? Yeah. Sharpening the saw is a responsibility every single one of us needs to take seriously, yet I see way too many people in my peer group just go into these online CE places and joking about how fast they can get it done. Meanwhile, I'm laughing the whole way to the bank to cash the checks I'm making off of taking your accounts because I do take this stuff seriously, and so does my team. So when we put that out, I would highly recommend everybody that, that's within earshot signs up for it and, and phone a friend and tell them too, man, because this is not going to get any easier. It's going to become a more and more difficult marketplace to navigate. And God forbid it becomes compulsory because then the carriers can do whatever they want with it. Now everybody has to have it. What happens to pricing in a market where it's a requirement? Right? Yep. So I think that this is going to be a hot button. It's something I've been talking about for the last couple of years. I'm not going to stop. I think it's going to continue to be important in 23. So I think we stopped there, guys. I think we Sounds did a good, good job. Let's, uh, let, you know, we're going to have a, a webinar bringing everybody in and uh, educating as many people as we can. And hopefully, you know, people take this stuff to heart because I, I want everybody to be successful and be able to retain their business and, and write new business. But that's not, that's not what natural selection says. It's survival of the <laughs> fittest out there. So it's only the people that are willing to, to make themselves better and take things seriously and push the envelope that are going to be able to ultimately be the most successful. So thank you so much for taking time with us today Thank you uh, to talk through this stuff. And I look forward to this episode coming out, but I look even more forward to seeing how many people we have the ability to get onto a webinar and can go from there. So Great. thanks Great. fellas. Really appreciate your time today for sure. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Tim. Absolutely. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. 
You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com. 